Now, welcome, folks. I'm sure you'd like to know. We're at the start of one big circus show. There are acts that are cool and acts that amaze. Some acts are scary and some acts will daze. Acts of all kinds, you can count on that. From folks that fly to disappearing acts. There are lots of surprises for the family at the greatest show in the galaxy. So many strange surprises I'm prepared to bet. Whatever you've seen before, you ain't seen nothing yet. So if you want something classic or you want something new, hit like and subscribe to the Whovian Review. <laughs> Colin. Tonight we're going to jump right into the greatest show in the galaxy. <laughs> is, is it the greatest show in the galaxy or is, is the title a bit of a hyperbole here? Um, I think it's a play on the greatest show on earth, the Barnum and Bailey. For, for something that's the greatest show in the entire galaxy, they have so few people coming at this point. And also they describe themselves as an intergalactic sensation. Yeah, and, and honestly, they, they don't seem all that different from your, your standard circus. I mean, like, Except I, for like the killing people part. Yeah, that too. I mean, I didn't even see any elephants or anything. Like, yeah, no. Maybe no, that's more no, humane. No tigers, no lions, no bears. No, no, no elephants. That, that's terrible. Yeah. But also good. Plenty of clowns, though. Plenty of clowns. Um, my, my personal least favorite element of the circus. For sure. Although it was, it was you know, in a way kind of comforting to see them behaving as sinisterly as they look. Well, especially the chief clown. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ian Reddington, who plays him, is just perfect for this particular role. And, and he gets the hand motion, the walk, the... The looks, the everything, and even the voice, just it's all one big package. And it took a lot for him probably to put all that together. But it works so very well. And matter of fact, I might point out that this, I believe, is the exact same clown costume that Tom Baker tried on in Robot when, when he was trying on all different types of uh, costuming. And we saw another Tom Baker uh thing when ace first shows up in this episode she's wearing the scarf yes exactly she's all going to the wardrobe looking for something well she's looking for her nitro nine any rate so um yeah so, <laughs> so yeah the chief clown's really quite uh quite well done you know, I thought the fortune teller, uh, she actually cracked me up in, in episode two when, like, she spent, you know, this whole impassioned speech, like, what we're doing is wrong, how can we, you know, take people to your death and try to persuade the doctor and stuff, and then this annoying fanboy shows up and she's like, you can go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty endearing, you must admit. He was, like, pre-Osgood. He's the he's the embodiment of a true Doctor Who geek. And he's us. Yes, he's us. We are him. 
And we're the ones talking like crazy about Doctor Who here while reading. But to be fair, he was definitely, I mean, with the glasses, the the overall look. You, Suspenders. Yeah. He definitely had the, the Doctor Who fandom geek vibe. Honestly, when he said he was such a big fan of the circus, I thought... Whoa, that's such a big turn. This this like kid who looks so innocent is gonna show up at the circus and be like, I love all the killing you're doing here. <laughs> he could very well. I mean, you never know. Well, he seemed to be a fan from before they got to this planet where it's implied things went south. We also have Nord the Biker, who of all people to go to the Great Show of the Galaxy just seemed like the least likely person to actually want to go to the He does not seem like he likes fun by his early interactions with the Doctor and Ace, does he? Not particularly. I think the psychic in you know, Psychic Circus has a lot more to do with that uh, big old eye underground than it does with the fortune teller. Probably. You're right. But but I want to like stay on this like uh, point of like the motorcycle dude coming through and the Doctor and Ace trying to hitch a ride. I mean, what is it with the 80s version of Doctor Who and their, you know, real insistence on using a lot of land vehicles to travel around when you have a space and time dimension phone booth on hand? Well, I think what's going on here? Probably the doctor already knew something was up, so he probably didn't want to bring the TARDIS in to be make it involved in anything. Because that's I don't know. The doctor seemed kind of oblivious in this one. It seemed like he just genuinely wanted to go to the circus, and Ace was like reluctant to go. I really like. It seemed like that was actually his motivation, and then like he later discovered that there was something amiss. Yeah, kind of almost. Uh, you know, realized that like, oh, it, it's not really close by where I landed my TARDIS. Oh, better drive really far off. Like, that that's kind of the impression that yeah, I got. Yeah, because then you have to drive back to get to your Because Curtis. he seemed surprised that it was far away, and he seemed like be trying to go to the circus. Well, to well be... no, no, we knew he was trying, because they got the ad to go to the circus. Yeah, and, and he's a kid at heart, so I know that he wanted to go to the circus. But then, on the way, he was also discovering a few things. Like, for instance, the... Colonel um, Mustard. Colonel Mustard. Yeah, we get, we get uh, uh, Captain Cook and Mags who is dressed quite interestingly. She's got this really cool hairstyle and makeup going on. Captain Cook was hilarious. The most He's useless so... character in probably Doctor Who's history because all he does is sit and drink tea and talk about his past adventures. And he's so pompous. So pompous. He doesn't care about anybody. Or... He's one of my favorite parts of the episode. Oh, yeah. Thus far. T.P. McKenna, who plays him, was apparently a really famous uh, British actor. So I can I, see why. He was very well, very well liking this role, apparently. Very well versed, you know, wise in his years, seen a lot of the galaxy. We also started off, though, with, with two characters, Bellboy and Flower Child. And these two are, of oh, course, yeah. running away from the psychic circus and being uh, kind of followed by the kite. And I felt when I first saw this as a kid, I was like, this is very vastly different from season 24 and what we've gotten before in season even 25 for the most part. This felt a lot more adult and a lot more serious. Because you got, I mean, first you had the kiss scene or a kissing scene where a lot of kids would be like, wow, okay, we're getting a little, a little more steamy here. <laughs> but also you've got, I mean, you've got these kind of adult themes where they're kind of talking about how they're trying, that they're the only ones able to fight back and they're the only ones that are trying to do something to make things right. And um, quite clearly they're a couple as well. And unfortunately... 
uh, flower child is killed off like right at the very beginning. And like, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more with her because you don't really get that much characterization. And I felt that was kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I did find, you know, part one relatively weaker, um, you know, in comparison to part two. Yeah. I mean, a lot more was happening in part two, I think. Yeah, you do need some setup and, you know, some other things to go on. That's probably natural, you know, just about any progressive yeah. story. Although I kind operation. of felt like the whole thing with the the lady running the food stand having, you know, like an issue with everyone who came by being like, oh, that circus is a dark place. We hate folks who go there. And like, then I, like the, the, and honestly, also like the motorcyclist, like that whole like thing that happened before they ended up in the cage. Like, I just feel like all of that could have not been in there and the episode would have been exactly the same. <laughs> I, but you could have actually filled in with more of Flower Child and Bellboy to get a little bit more background with them. It, you could even yeah. have her killed off in, in the second episode and just reverse things a bit just to give her a few more scenes. I think that, I mean, obviously the the overall idea was that she was going to be the first victim in all this. And so you could tell that, oh, okay, there's something very sinister going on. But I think, I mean, with clowns and circuses, you already you know, know something sinister is happening. Something sinister is happening. You just see the kites flying around. That's already. I mean, let's be real. As soon as you see the doctor, you know something sinister is happening. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I have a question for you guys. Yeah. In terms of clown acting, is it more challenging to be a clown actor, or is it less challenging? You know, there's a lot of a lot of makeup, a lot of you know facial features that are kind of obscured. What do you think there? Since I've actually been a clown for Halloween before, I would say that it's more challenging because you have to um, actually act different than what you would normally act. You definitely have to have certain movements to make it look like you are either way more agile than you usually are or more wooden and robotic, depending on what kind of a clown that you're going for. Now, granted, a lot of the clowns in this particular story are all robots. So, uh, except for the chief clown, of course. And so they're very robotic in a lot of their movements, even though they get reprogrammed so that they can do flips and things to make it a little less in sync with, <laughs> with the robotic roboticism, I guess. Yeah. Also, I've acted in a play where my face was obscured, and I will say it is harder to do it that way because you have to convey emotion with your um, body movements instead because your face you know isn't part of that and then but you also have to not overact yeah that makes sense perhaps there's you know some sort of a non-polarizing effect too at the bottom at least where you know you can't act so horribly that you know you don't still look like a clown yeah that's that's true i think with the chief clown though in his case he actually had to almost overact with his face not necessarily with his the rest of them, but he had to like really push that through because he knew that he was already hidden for the most right. part. Um, but he conveyed all the emotions and all the the movements pretty well. Oh yeah, he did a great job. And then we also have another character we haven't mentioned, which the is creepy family. Um, yeah, well, those that is another. Oh, that's three characters. <laughs> well, they kind of. I don't know. They could be all controlled by the same entity. Hive mind family. Yeah. Hive mind family, yes. They're all kind of, they seem like more like robots too because they've got all this wooden movement and they're eating, although they are eating crisps, so that doesn't really make sense. 
I guess we'll find out in parts three and four. I would yeah. hope so. We also have the ringmaster, which is the one I was going for, oh, and right, yeah. uh, the rapping ringmaster. Um, who and he's the one who is making them stay, it seems. Yeah, quite quite literally. E- even though, like, it seems kind of like the head clown was, you know, or it seemed that way, like he was in charge running it up until that conversation, then it was like, nope, it's the ringmaster. Well, and that kind of makes sense because the ringmaster is in control, typically, of a circus. Yeah, the ringmaster is the ringmaster. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but, I mean, there's definitely an interesting dynamic because you've got um, the fortune teller who's kind of losing faith in the circus itself um and then you've got this these other two that are obviously trying to trap all these people into dying for them so there is a very obviously a very sinister element to this particular story and the all-seeing eye which is on everything i mean i guess i'd say that Basically, they're put out there and, you know, made to do various acts to see if they would serve well as, like, a clown or another part of the circus act. And if they fail, then they get sacrificed to that crazy eye or something. <laughs> That's my guess at this point. Yeah. Time will tell. Time will tell. Do you have any other questions for us, Colin? Or thoughts? That's, a, that's about it for me. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll continue on parts three and four then. All to right. be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, let's talk about the stalls lady for a moment because... She lives around there. She's like the only person that lives around there. And it's like, why is she even in it? They could have cut every scene that she was in and it would have been the same. Yeah, yeah it, I think it was just like kind of, she was kind of a device to carry different characters into the story. You know, we have fanboy coming in, meeting her at a different time than the doctors meeting her at a different time than bellboy. I think, his his actual her. name is Wiz Kid. Wiz Kid, yes, Wiz Kid, of course. Maybe she fed uh, the doctor and Ace that one corn chowder. Maybe it had psychedelics in it, and this was all just a hallucination. <laughs> it seems like a lot of it was like some sort of, you know, maybe like perception, you know, thing by the, um, you're influenced by the Ragnarok. It would make sense well, since like the, the entire tent was like. I don't know, miles long. Yeah, it explains a little bit of the kookiness. It explains why the audience is so small. Yeah. And all the audience was just that big. But there was a laugh track somewhere along there, so like... And an applause track, too, apparently. Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I I bet a lot of circuses do that, just in general. So they're doing, like, illusions or have some sort of perception filter stuff going on and without like a, a word missing the the dude says hey do you got like a maybe a moon filter to <laughs> wolf transformation yeah thing? and why did that work <laughs> I, I i don't know i don't know we, we need to learn a lot more about her i certainly have a lot of questions like what exactly changed about her when that happened so she was kind, <laughs> she's kind of a werewolf the thing yeah. is, there were like five moons up on the planet already, and she didn't transform with then. And then there was a moon that showed her being scared of it, and then she just transforms all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I guess it's just a certain type of light and a crescent shape. Maybe it's we'll a phobia it. she has, and whenever she gets scared, it happens. It's like a trigger. It's like a post-traumatic stress thing. You know, she goes back to when her life was on the line. 
know, and she's... I mean, it is, tr- yeah. like, it did seem pretty clear that Captain Cook had, like, trained her in wolf form to, like, behave in a certain way because she seemed to be able to follow commands and stuff. So you're funny. right. Maybe he, like, you know, abusively conditioned her to, to fear the moon. The thing is, we just don't know. Yeah. Well, the conditioning obviously didn't work because she ended up killing Cook in the end. Well, true, but it worked for a little bit, like, so, like, it was clear that it had been practiced. Yeah. Although, oh, yeah, although yeah. is he really killed? I mean, he comes back, he does say that he's dead, he doesn't look very dead, well, but I then he that, seems to kill himself that's, again. That's, God, that's the gods of Ragnarok using his dead cadaver to, to try and stop the Doctor. Which... Yeah, but it seems to have his own kind of consciousness and viewpoint. Well, he still it. has all his consciousness inside he's it's just, so it's not like, just him being used I, I don't know if that's like he's, he's like a zombie a yeah. little bit yeah i mean he's undead I yeah mean, he's not really dead true yeah they they put the pale makeup that means that he was still dead i guess yeah. i mean okay but just like but in then he was general really dead when he went off the cliff into the eyeball zone yeah in general Wait, captain really cook i think was my favorite character in this whole story who Cap- mustard Captain, Captain Cook? Cook. Like, he was just, like, the whole time, he was just, like, so useless in the beginning. And then, like, we find out why in the second half where he's just like, yeah, I just don't care about any of you guys. I'm completely <laughs> self-serving. And that's just the way I am. All of this horrible way I've been treating, you know, my, like, assistant chick. Yeah, you know, that's legit. That's just, like, how I am with everyone. Yeah. Screw you guys. Go die for me. It, it, like, and it's just... What, I think it would have been more effective if he actually survived, because he's the one that everybody wanted to die. Well, so at the beginning... <laughs> he like, put on a good show. I mean, he got all nines from the cast. I mean, he was such an interesting character compared to, like, the very flat everyone else in this story. Well, yeah, the, he was the memorable one. I feel like there's a lot of side characters that weren't acted very well that I never cared about. Well, the Wiz Kid was kind of an amalgamation of Doctor Who fandom rolled up into a character in a Doctor Who story. Did you see yourself in the Wizkid? I did not. I was never that annoying. Good grief. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I might have been a little annoying, but I was never like... I, I. When I was in high school, I rarely talked about Doctor Who. I didn't really have anyone. I didn't really have anyone. Well, I didn't really have anyone to talk to. I mean, about when I was in high school, I'd never heard of Doctor Who. Yeah, there you go. So obviously, you weren't talking about it. Well, uh, with with the 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 captain, I don't know why he's called the captain. He's more like an archaeologist slash explorer type person. Looks like he's gonna take us on a safari to me. Well, it kind of comes from like. I forget exactly what time Jumanji, period. I guess it's, Colonel yeah. Mustard and, you know. I think it's like post-World War One. people like like in England went on this whole like safari kick. Let's hunt big wild like, yeah. animals. And like, and like they would like dress in outfits like that and behave pompously towards all the natives. Also, he reacts so weirdly calm to any sort of danger. He's like, Morty, anyone? When a robot lasering everyone was there, he's like, yep, my, yeah. my cup isn't. He's pretty boring. much a G. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, also. I, I like at the end too, like his device, like, you know what? Like, and he's like traipsing towards everyone who's on the edge of a cliff, thinking like you're gonna get pushed off or something. Yeah, and, he, and he's just like, you know what? I've met a dead person before. Now that I'm experiencing it, it's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, 
Well, that was not very well explained as to why he just went over the edge. Now maybe he didn't. I mean, was maybe because he think explain it all. The eye pendant and the connection no. with the, the eye pendant. Well, the eye pendant him. was needed because part of it was on the bus, and that was what kind of captured uh, Deadbeat's kind of psyche and memories. So as soon as he was able to get that that eye back to his amulet, he was able to then regain kind of all of his knowledge and understanding. Yeah, but yeah, why? So then, was that so, just psych- purely psychological, or was that, like, some sort of technology? I mean, I'm, Probably techno- I'm wondering, honestly, like, how it got transferred by just going through an eye portal, and much more so, why it just deflects razor- lasers from Ragnarok. Oh, right, like, when it, like, she dropped it down the thing, and then it pops out of the ground... Yeah, and the doctor knew exactly what to do with it. Yeah, also, why? I think that was a portal. I think the idea is that the eye, the cavern with the eye, is a portal down. Now, why Cook didn't show up in. the, I'm guessing the medallion is some sort of a technological device. I think I think it was just I think it was just a mirror. He just deflected lasers with a mirror, as one you know can do yeah, so with then, lasers. So then, why did they keep shooting if it was like at that exact spot? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it seemed like they like converged on it. Like it was. Well, that's why I think it's technological. Is that okay. it absorbs the stuff that yeah, they're sending his it's way? Psychic. Maybe once the doctor picked it up and saw it, he knew exactly yes. what he could and would do. Well, well, but there was also, like, okay, so previously in Doctor Who, like, was there any interaction with him and these Ragnarok people? No. Okay, so... Gods of Ragnarok are new to this particular story. Okay, so all of the, like, in the past, all the times I've encountered you before, that was all new. Mm. So, yeah, that wasn't explained very well. (laughs) Well, that's that's the problem, is that the... I think the idea is that Ragnarok gods are kind of like an old, old like evil force that have just been sitting around waiting for entertainment to be brought to them now uh, and so they're kind of like a true god they want they want whatever they want and they're going to get whatever they want i mean true gods would develop you know hbo and max and netflix a little sooner (laughs) (laughs) one would hope but i think what it was is uh also like the the directors because there were several i noticed in the credits um they were like hmm What's the final boss? We could make it like Hydra, or maybe we could make it like that one uh, person back in John Pertwee's era with a cool, sick-looking head. I've been really Pronos. into pom-poms lately. Can we do something with that? Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that, that one scene where the Seventh Doctor just goes in, in menacing grr to the camera and just like, draped in all these pom-pom little uh, confetti-like uh, things, and he's like, or I have to get through this one area. I don't know why it's all warpy and all this. Well, he knew where it, why it was warpy because he actually asked them to open a portal to their world. And so that's that was the idea, was that that was supposed to be the effect to show that he's going through a portal. Now, was it a good effect? No. I, I think one of the problems with this story is that, like you had pointed out, Shelby, there's not a whole lot of explanation for what actually takes place. And... Because of that, it's kind of left up to the eye of the beholder to figure out exactly what's going on. Now, I think if you read this, the novelization, it's a whole lot clearer. And the, the idea behind a lot of these things makes a lot more sense. But, I mean, just strictly from a television point of view, I could see why the average viewer would just be like, 
what is going on? Yeah, it, it feels very much like, you know, they wrote a little bit of it, and then they like, what happens next? Let's figure it out. Okay, well, what will happen now? Like, instead of, like, having a plan. I think it's more know, the, the realization story. of it was the challenge. I mean, you're dealing with a very low budget. You're dealing with very little time to get it all together. I think the fact that we do have more than one director suggests that this story was very complicated and very interest intriguing. But you can't have something complicated and intriguing on a very low budget because you're just not going to be able... Unless you have someone literally describe exactly what's going on in the story like they do during the Jodie Whittaker era, <laughs> uh, yeah. they, they, you're not going to really have a clear, concise plot line. And I, I think for the most part, the plot line was pretty clear. This is, this is a, the greatest show in the galaxy used to be a really good event uh, bellboy was telling uh, ace yeah we really had fun we really enjoyed ourselves we created this really amazing show but then when the gods of ragnarok take over the greatest show in the galaxy in this one specific planet that's when things go to hell wait what did you mean when you were saying that the the budget constrained them like stopped them from having a good plot i don't well, because you can't realize all the things like the doctor going through a portal. That really didn't make any sense. It was very psychedelic, yes. But did it make sense for what he what he was doing or where he was going or how I he... Mean, you can see some budget constraints here. I mean, it looks yeah, like... Yeah, you, you can, but I feel it like looks the plot like we're, is we're going to see like a play, you know, with yeah. some of the backgrounds and other things going on. And I think that's part of the problem for like how it looks it takes itself too seriously i think in the, a lot of places. well the other problem i think that they have is that it's like a chris chibnall era episode you've got way too many characters to figure out what am i going to do with these characters in the end and there's there could have been a much better plot line for the gypsy and for the um, the ringmaster because oh my those God, two... yeah because it started out interesting and then went nowhere <laughs> well they the one of the main plot things that would have worked for those two characters without just killing them off random randomly because they they ran out of people to put in front of the gods of Ragnarok was to actually have them turn on the gods of Ragnarok and because uh, that's they, they hinted at that um, with with the gypsy at the beginning of the story mm -hmm. and um, maybe it, even if they had shown that they couldn't, they felt like they couldn't get out of this because they were trapped. They were, the gods of Ragnarok had them kind of in their grasp. There was nothing they could do. That would have been a good theme to explore a little more with. I actually, I actually would have been okay still with the conclusion of her getting persuaded to stay in the circus if there had been a, a moment <laughs> of her being persuaded because like she had a conversation with the roommaster but like she was clearly unconvinced at the end of that conversation and so was he you know like they they were still disagreeing with each other and then like they come into this and she's like oh yeah you know i i had a moment of doubt but i'm back on your side now great master and like there was just like why did you have that conflict if you were just going to, like, resolve it off screen? Well, I think it was more just fear that she feared the gods of Ragnarok, and that was... Okay, well, then that she was... acted it very poorly. Yeah. Well... Or, or the dialogue wasn't, wasn't heard, because there were, there were some parts of the dialogue that the music actually takes mm. over, and it's much more difficult to understand what they're saying, because the music is so loud. I mean, I love Mark Airy's score. The, the music actually worked very well for the story, but they needed to bring the volume level of the music down. And this was a problem that they had not only with this story, but for future stories too, where the music was just 
overbearing and on top of the dialogue you had no idea what and and you'll you'll notice that in, in a future story would that be a better or worse coming into new technology like a, a blu-ray or for instance um like an old cctv uh sort of there's a lot of mixing and editing you can do musically and and audio with the audio tracks to make it so that the the any future release of any Sylvester McCoy story could actually downplay the music and upplay the actual dialogue. Yeah. You can do that. That's that's it takes a little bit of tinkering. Though was the compositing like was it even barely audible with like two TVs back then all on um, the sort of tape so it's all grainy and like all already poor quality would it I mean, it, it was, it, let's put it this way. When I first saw Greatest Show in the Galaxy, I had a hard time hearing what they were saying. Right. And I also had no idea what the heck was going on because I had, couldn't necessarily hear what they were saying. Um, with that said, I think a lot, some of the dialogue, even with the D, DVD that we were seeing just today, was still lost due to that that issue now because like i i think there's a few pieces of dialogue that i've noticed that you guys completely missed that i just went over um and i totally get that I, it, it's just it's very difficult to sometimes understand what the heck is going on not just that but i think at the end um they were trying to i guess raise the stakes because not enough death was happening so like they were like hmm well maybe the head honchos of this thing that have been running this seemingly for years at this point, because the locals are even uh, upset. Now, now these random three people are just deciding to kill them off for the first time, and I guess that raises the stakes more than them rebelling. So uh, they just needed death because there wasn't any recent occurrence, I guess. I mean, that's a possibility. I mean... <laughs> they definitely need some entertainment. I can see why they let the doctor go on for as long as he did. I, I thought that was some of the most entertaining parts of this episode. You know, you could just have a part or two of the doctor doing magic tricks. And I think it'd be, uh, you know, have some decent entertainment value. It would have been fun if you could actually entertain the three people for as, uh, as long as possible just by being himself and having the amount of experience and showmanship that he does. I mean, I think he can tell a lot of stories. You, yeah. You'd think that the magic tricks would have been more appealing to them after they'd sat through, like, feasibly, you know, years or decades of, you know, people running out and being like, please don't kill me, and then dying. <laughs> yeah. the, the, uh, going back to the medallion, if you think about Harry Potter and the sword that the phoenix brings to Harry in the second movie... Okay. That's kind of similar to what this what this um, medallion represents. It's it's basically the one way the Doctor can defeat the gods of Ragnarok because it, it's basically using their own technology against them. It's a MacGuffin, actually. Yeah, it, it, there are a lot of like elements to this that kind of lend back to sort of old like knights' tales, where like you run Fancy, in and like yeah. yeah, you've got your you know. Your principles and your one belief, and it gets tested. Your and, chief clowns. Yeah, yeah. And of yeah. course, nowadays everybody's gonna ask, "Well, where's Thor?" 
Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like gone. Odin. What were we talking about here? Snakes eating their own tails. The basilisk is eating their its own tail. Gryffindor. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So he I, th- I think they just met it because like they're made out of rock and they're like magnet rock. Mm. <laughs> oh no, that was I, that was I, terrible. I guess the, yeah, it was. <laughs> eye rolling. <laughs> So I guess maybe it, it could be like the portal in the the floor. It it only allowed like a certain thing to pass through it without uh, teleporting. Um, so then it got teleported. The doctor then picked it up. Maybe it was like a magnet and just absorbed all these lasers coming at it. And for some reason they kept shooting at it. Maybe if we shoot some more, it'll do something. I will say that the gods of Ragnarok aren't the smartest of gods and or enemies that the doctors faced uh, based on what we saw. Now, again, I think part of it is do they have a budget that can show what the gods of Ragnarok were actually doing? Well, I mean, they don't have to have a budget for it. They could just, you know, have an epic villain speech or something. Yeah, I mean, if the gods of Ragnarok had a good budget, I mean, they probably wouldn't have to kill people for entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, plus, like, it, it's also like there, you know, it seems like there'd be such better and more infinite sources that we have at our disposal. Yeah, easily humans. They're literally killing the entertainment, so it doesn't really make much sense why they would continue doing that if it's been boring them for the past however long. Well, what I don't get is that, like, it was very, you know, heavily indicated that the doctors encountered them before, mm-hmm. and it's like. Why are they still around then? <laughs> you know, like how are they? They're still like around? a last-minute plot thread that was sort of woven in the beginning, but like never fully realized. So yeah, but it's kind of like why did the doctor not take them out earlier? It seems like he met them and was like, hmm, I should get in my TARDIS and go to a point in time where they're at their full power and then and then confront them at that point. Maybe it just happens <laughs> to be whenever he meets them, he just ends up climbing around. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, at, at least he pulled a million tricks out of his pockets? And a snake, too. That... They're, they're bigger on the inside. They are bigger on the inside. Um, one thing I should point out is that the... The portal that the doctor goes through, and the fact that they that uh, the medallion goes through, that is it's a dimensional portal. So there's a so the gods of Ragnarok technically are in a completely different dimension. Now that doesn't it doesn't well they have a presence they have a presence in our dimension as the family, but that. It's not very well explained as to how, why, and, and all the and the what's. And it, I think that's another downfall for this episode. I but, don't know. It was a little uh, Douglas Adams, you know, with the interdimensional super beings projecting themselves as, as mice. <laughs> yeah, true. Good point. I, I also do have to point out that the robotic... Um, or Bellboy's robot uh, kind of factory area, that was kind of a spooky scene. So I'll give, I'll give a little bit of credit here. Ace does have a fear of clowns, as do quite a few of us out there in the Doctor Who universe. And this story could explain why. <laughs> well, no, because she had a fear of clowns beforehand. That's why she didn't want to go to the circus. No, I know, but I'm saying for Doctor Who fans, oh. having a fear of clowns, this oh. story yeah. 
does depict clowns in a very spooky way, especially the head clown. I, I do give oh, yeah. him props for being he did a great job. In the very doing pretty well. Three, he, he was menacing. And then the last one, he was just kind of there. And yeah, he did the smile and the wave really well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not a fan of, but I also kind of feel like somehow making other clowns robots made them a little less menacing to me. Yeah, yeah. They, were, yeah they were a lot less. I don't know. I felt like because they're cold and calculating and they don't really have any feelings, that actually kind of is what a lot of people feel that clowns are anyway. Oh, I think it's creepier if they're people that have been stripped of their feelings and, and empathy. Oh, so Cybermen. Okay. No, like that other clown guy who decided... <laughs> Like, hey, I'm just going to survive this whole thing by, you know, joining them, and joining the bad guys. And he just does that and leads people to their death all day long, every day. Yeah. I, you know? Well, I mean, if like it saves him. Well, so if it's a whole, like, group of people that all made that same decision, like, that's just scary. Maybe that's why yeah. Russell T. Davies uh, just was like, hmm... Well, in Sarah Jane Adventures, let's have a clown episode that beats this one right here. <laughs> All right. Well, talking about beating this well, well, one. Well, hang on, hang on. We haven't talked about Ace yet, and I'd like to point out okay. how much of a non-player she was in this story. Like, she was just, like, like it seemed almost like she was forced into the story. They needed to give her something to do. The fear of clowns was, you know, salient, but, like... Other than that, it was just, I don't know. How did she fought a robot and killed it, and she got, she you found know, the, the magical pendant that ended up saving the day and got it back oh, to the doctor? I guess that's true. What's kind I of mean, like, it was kind of, like, really squeezed in at the end, a lot of, like, her big relevance. But. Well, it's like she almost did something, but didn't really at, at, at the certain point. So it's like she goes over to the bike person. It's like, hey, I can repair your bike. Actually, no. And then he just zooms off. And so they walk all the way there. It's like, actually, I don't want to go in this clown carnival. And I hear screaming. Nah, we can go inside. Okay. Goes inside, (laughs) sees this gypsy, and is like, nope, I'm out of here. And the doctor's like, wait, actually, no, you're coming along. They enter a dark room. It's like, hmm, maybe I don't want to be here. Actually, you do. Let's just go mosey along to the beach. I, I think Jeremy's put got a good point here. Ace becomes a reluctant victim in this <laughs> particular story. She does. She's kind of dragged into it, even though she doesn't want to be. Yeah, but she's an important ace in the hole in the end. <laughs> the, she I will really s- take out the Ragnarok. The, there's similarities to this story and Paradise Towers, where the Doctor gets really excited about going to see Paradise Towers, and Mel's like. Or is it reversed? No, Mel actually gets excited to see the Paradise Towers and the pool. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, oh, fine, we'll go. And in this case, it's the reverse. The doctor's interested in the in the greatest show in the galaxy, and he's trying to get Ace to go, and Ace is like, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> so it's, I, but it's got a similar setup right there. I, I just realized that. Yeah, it's kind of dramatic irony in a sense. It's like, we know what's going to happen, and then we know that kind of Ace already knows what's going to happen, but it happens anyway. The Doctor does defeat the gods of Ragnarok and has this great scene where he's walking out of the tent and then it explodes behind him. Now, this was ill-timed and apparently Sylvester McCoy had no idea that this explosion was going to happen when it did. And um, and it did... Uh, <laughs> he, he, the fact that he didn't jump when, it ex- when that explosion occurred shows how good of an actor he was for this part- that particular scene. 
Yeah, it's quite comical seeing everything crumble around him as he just casually moses along. As a Very doctor moment. Yeah. It reminds me of that song, Cool Guys Don't Look at Explosions. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should rate this. Get a final rating. Well, any rate, was it the greatest show in the galaxy? No. Was it the worst? Far from it. Um, am I eager to watch it again? No. No, I'm not. Um, but, you know, there were some interesting elements here. I, I think there was definitely some fun. Um, Captain Cook was like a legend, you know, in my book. Um, he's, he's probably worth it. I think he's my highlight um, of the show in terms of new character elements. But um, outside of him, I, I think Ace and, you know, the Doctor, I think the Doctor performed well in here. I don't think there was a lot of great acting throughout the story. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of a, a lot of how the plot moved along. I think that there were just some um, low-budget you know, constraints, as we mentioned before, as well as some just uh, problems hearing things and following a cohesive, coherent story. Um, a lot more questions than answers and an unsatisfying kind of a way as well. Um, for me, this is going to get a 5 out of 10. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> well, for me, I, I sort of, uh, as it goes along in the beginning and it's sort of all set up and you're brought to this desolate place about uh, a few miles off of this uh, tent, which is the greatest show in the galaxy, what I find is interesting is like the, the robot came along in the TARDIS all of a sudden, didn't even see it happen, it just was randomly appeared, they're like, oh, that's a thing. It suddenly fiddles with the controls of a TARDIS, and they're like, wait a second, that, that seems normal. Maybe we should definitely go to this place that's trying to garner <laughs> us to. And so they go to the place, and it's like a barren wasteland, essentially. It's like, ah, this looks nice. I almost fell off the cliff, but it looks nice, right? And so they walk along, they see various things, including a death robot that tries to kill them, and they're like, yeah, I just want to go to the circus, and... Uh, they go to the circus, <clears throat> but first this hippie van sort of uh, area was called to, and this one male robot was there and uh, was like, uh, actually, you need a ticket, and I want you to have this ticket so badly that I will permanently ingrain it into your skull. <laughs> and that comes along later, and this ticket man gets like, I don't know, the clowns put him back in the car for whatever reason, with a great big button on the top of his head that says deactivate. It just makes sense. Um, and then they go to the, the clown, and then all of that stuff happens. And I do like, let's see, uh, the, the captain. He was captivating, uh, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a bit weird, though, when he turned from being just a normal captain with, like, tea and everything... Actually, I'm a criminal mastermind, and I don't care murdering people as long as I'm not the person who's being murdered. Um, so, so with all that said, and the the plot thread later on, I'd say I'd have to rate this in two different sections. So the build up and whatnot, and uh, the the follow through at the end. The the build up was quite nice. I I liked it. It was enjoyable. And then after that, it kind of. I don't know, it didn't fall apart like the, the tent was, per se, but <laughs> it kind of uh, was, was a bit less of a conclusion than the, the setup kind of 
led it on to be, so. Lost in translation. Yeah, so I'd have to go between the middle of seven and like five, so I'll rate it maybe a six, six point five out of ten. Okay, Shelby. All right, well, as has been said before, Captain Cook was great. I liked him. I thought uh, he was, you know, probably the best character in this. And I liked, um, I liked the creepy clowns. I agree with Colin that they became a lot less creepy when we found out the majority of them were robots. I thought then at that point the creepiest was definitely, you know, the leader of them and the others were just kind of there. Um, there was a lot in this story that was just kind of there and didn't really make a whole lot of sense and then there was you know a lot of stuff that just kind of started and petered out and so I don't know um I found this an entertaining one to watch for sure there was a lot of you know gripping aspects to it but I think that I'm gonna have to give this one a 5.5 okay well, nobody mentioned that they liked Mags, and I thought that Mags was kind of a cool character. As a matter of fact, her whole motif with Captain Cook was a very similar Doctor Companion kind That's of thing. That's the werewolf girl, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, li I like that. So having the Doctor kind of come up with his almost polar opposite but similar kind of characterization, kind of a lost, retired... Uh, wandering through space kind of guy who just wants to go on adventures. That's very much the Doctor, but what's different is that he doesn't give a daggone about anybody, <laughs> including almost himself at some point. Uh, but I I do hear what you're saying. I mean, I th for me, the plot to this is probably not as complex as it as a lot of people make it out to be. It doesn't need to be. It's basically just a uh, circus that's gone wrong thanks to the gods of Ragnarok. Um, with that said, the gods of Ragnarok are not the most effective um, villains. Um, they just kind of sit around and expect to be entertained. Um, there is a nice spook element to this story. Um, it's one of the spookier stories from the 1980s, so that really kind of says a lot right there. Um, especially the Sylvester McCoy era, because at this point, Sylvester McCoy has been mostly just slapstick humor and or silliness, uh, with the exception of Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, so there is definitely, it does seem like there are higher stakes in the story than previous stories during the Sylvester era. But um, I do agree that the the last two episodes seem to rush through a lot of the plot line and a lot of the potential that this story could have had. Um, with that said, I think this story deserves a solid 6 out of 10. It is not, in my opinion, the worst of Sylvester McCoy's era. And matter of fact, I think it's definitely a step up from Silver Nemesis. Um, well, then again, I think just about anything is a step up from Silver Nemesis. Some things are two steps up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as far as a series finale, which this was, uh, it just doesn't quite capture the idea of some, the a final story. Um, it just doesn't feel final. So, it, yeah, it loses some points there. 
Um, but even six is, is giving it a, a, a little bit more than I probably should. But I, I still... That's why I made the correct rating. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Though I, I have to say, they're swan di- diving into that, like... Uh, the sort of tent uh, that was keyed like a long time ago was kind of hilarious, but uh, I guess that was just me. I think that's part of the physical attributes that the the Seventh Doctor typically takes on is that he likes to be very physical in a lot of what he does. So because throwing he's himself, good at it. <laughs> yeah, throwing himself into a a slit in the wall, basically. Now what? An or down a set of stairs. Or or yeah, he he did fall pretty well off the uh, state or off the uh, bleachers there. Uh, I will say that none of this story actually took place on a set. This was all actually co- truly constructed for the story, and it was all done outside apparently in the outside lot. Um, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> well, apparently there was a strike or something during this time, so that the BBC uh, studios were all shut down. So in order to film, they had to do it all outdoors. And, and I think that did actually give it a, a definitely a different feel from a lot of the other stories that surround it. And it makes sense because, I mean, it was a circus and circuses are outdoors. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, and then the barren wasteland is basically just another rock quarry. So that's the running ju- gag in Doctor Who. just didn't need to be in it at all. Yeah, they also <laughs> almost got r- run over by a car. And instead of it being like a weird green screen sort of aesthetic, it was like the, this car is coming along. They're just talking. And it's like, Ace, get out of the way. But I'm pushing you towards the car instead of bringing you close over this way. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny, and it didn't really need to be exactly that way, but it was kind of funny. At any rate, well, tell us what you think about Greatest Show in the Galaxy, if you've ever seen it. If you haven't, then I do recommend that you take a look for yourself. Yeah, especially since you wasted the time of listening to us talk about it. (laughs) I mean, goodness, I hope you've seen it already. (laughs) Massive spoilers here for you. Yeah, but it, at absolute must is you have to rate it apparently a 5.5 out of 10, according to Colin over here, so I know. I, I was actually going for the 5. I, I rated it a 5.5. But, but you know, I'm, I'm open to all points of view that can be between it, the 4 to 6 range or so. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of how we rated. We all kind of went that route exactly and anybody who goes with outside of those boundaries is just crazy and a menace and <laughs> no, no. Wow. there can be a diversity of opinions believe it or not this is a subjective no nope. kind of phenomenon no nope. completely objectively uh mid yeah well catch us on our new after dark Object- episode where we get meta about ratings and we talk about how we rate if we rate consistently what do ratings mean if anyway is it all just fun numbers games <laughs> find out All right, and until then, hope you have a wonderful night, and we'll see you later. Bye. 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 Bye.